Welcome to the Comical Heathen. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and welcome to my own personal odyssey into the world of religious satire. I've been working on a book about religious satire, and I've made it my mission to go around and interview interesting people, comedians, artists, religious leaders, and get their opinions about religious satire. This has resulted in a series of very interesting conversations, and I'd like to share one of those conversations with you today. I had an opportunity to talk to a friend of mine, a comedian and actor, called Sean Lynch. Uh, Sean Lynch is known for being a writer and producer of the uh, very famous show Celebrity Deathmatch. He's also a voice actor who has done promo work for Burger King and Starburst and video games. He is the uh, voice of the DJ on a couple of the installments of Grand Theft Auto. And more recently, he plays the villain Max on the Walking Dead video game. And as a kind of fun Easter egg, they decided to cast Sean Lynch on this season of The Walking Dead, playing the same character from the video game. Uh, So Sean Lynch is a touring comedian. He's a friend of mine, a mentor. I've worked with him on many shows over the years. So we sat down, had a conversation about religious satire. And I'd like to share that with you now. Thank you. Welcome to today's episode of The Comical Heathen. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and I'm here with my guest today, the hilarious Sean Lynch. Glad to be here, man. Hey, thanks for being here. As you and Sean know, I'm uh, very interested in researching and finding out all I can about religious satire, so I've been going around interviewing people. Well, we were talking right before we started recording, and you've had a busy year. You've got yeah. a lot of projects on. You want to been a tell, good been a good year. Tell the listeners your just three quickly your three favorite things you're working on right now. Uh, right now I'm doing uh, the new Walking Dead video game for uh, for PlayStation and Xbox. I'm doing the, uh, the voice of the bad guy for that, which is kind of fun. And you uh, said those are like released as seasons, so that's yeah, they're released as seasons. So they're almost they're almost like eight to ten hour movies that are done chapter episodically, much like the show. Do you know which season yours season is Season three. So you're the villain in season three of yeah, the video Yeah, the character's uh, name is Max. Okay, excellent. And, and uh, two more things. Uh, I've got a new uh, TV pilot that I, that I just did uh, with the guys from Impractical Jokers called The History Show, uh, where I'm playing uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a comedy sketch show uh, based on historical facts, so uh, I'm pretty excited about that. And well, sir, uh, So that sounds like the kind of thing that listeners of this podcast would be interested in. Absolutely. And then, you know, on the side, I got, you know, a couple of fun voiceover campaigns going on. Uh, I'm okay. doing... Uh, uh, the voice for uh, Burger King and uh, okay. Drake's, and uh, I do a lot of voiceover work. Drake's, and, the coffee cake? Uh, yeah, Yodel's, Devil Dogs, okay. you name it, all their products. I'm doing mm-hmm. this character voice that is narrates it, their stuff. Is that radio or television or both? Everything. Okay. Like, both Burger King and Drake's, it's internet, television, radio, the whole uh, Megillah, mm-hmm. which gives me the cushion I need to be able to go on the road doing okay. comedy and be able to do writing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that's uh, it's, it's been a good year. It's hashtag blessed. Excellent. Are you getting on, out on the road a lot lately? Yeah. Well, I... Uh, yeah. We're, we're recording this in Cuyahoga Falls right now because you're... Right. Because I'm working. Here. You're working the show tonight. funny Cuyahoga. stop. Yeah. Well, it definitely sounds like you're busy. Congratulations it's, on all the exciting projects. Thanks, man. And I'll mention for people listening at home that I've, I've known you for several years now, and uh, I've seen you perform, and we've worked on shows a couple times here and there, so I, I know you relatively well, yeah. a little bit anyway, so I want to give a little context to our conversation that way. Sure. First thing I, I would say, so uh, 
on the general topic of religious satire, having seen you perform, you know, a dozen times over the years, I wouldn't think of that as like an area that you particularly include in your act normally. Not, not recently, or not, uh, not over the past couple of years. But uh, the act's been kind of, kind of evolving lately. So sure. Is there a reason why? It, is there like a strategic decision you make uh, not no, to dude, include you, that? You and I have been working together too long. There was no strategy <laughs> in my game. I get up on stage and I hope the ADHD is kind to me and right. it's usually whatever jingly keys are in front of me or what I start talking about and then I kind of try and weave it into whatever I'm feeling in that moment, whatever vibe I'm feeling off the audience. And lately now, because of my hatred for Donald Trump, it's gotten a little political and, uh, sure. and uh, you know, uh, because I want to start a family and spend about things with family, but certainly, uh, especially in the... You know, sometimes in conversations that I've, that I've had on other political shows with uh, mm -hmm. other Catholics, you know, I do mm -hmm. plenty of jokes about being an altar boy and plenty of jokes of witnessing the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church firsthand for 12 years of Catholic school in Boston. That'll, that'll so, turn So, Sean, in. you're from Boston? Yeah. yeah I'm from, uh, I'm from uh, basically Salem, Massachusetts, which is sure. just north of Boston. But, yeah, All right. yeah. All right. And so Catholic upbringing. There's a little bit of, you know, randomness to who I have an opportunity to interview but I have, in the past couple of months, interviewed three or four other comedians who had Catholic upbringings. Mm. And, you know, there's so, so some interesting notes maybe to compare there. Come, did coming out of that upbringing it condition killed, you to killed, think about? It killed God for me for the next 20 years. Okay. So it just wasn't an interesting topic to you to pursue, or it? Uh, no, I, I just uh, it didn't interest me. And then I about eight years ago, I had uh, mm -hmm. a religious experience. Okay, not even being funny, man. No, I no. had a religious. I can see the look on his face right now. Yeah. He's not being funny. <laughs> it's kind of what got me off drugs. Okay, it's kind of what got. I mean, I was a, I was a, you know, I worked for MTV for many years. I had mm -hmm. a show on there called Celebrity Deathmatch, another show on there called Parental Control, and. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was a writer regularly for Spring Break and a bunch of other stuff, and I was uh, a bit of a heathen. Mm -hmm. used to probably do about an eight ball a week, drink a bottle of Jameson's a day, okay. uh, pack of smokes a day, and I did that from about the time I was 22, 23, till I was 34. Five. Okay. Was it nihilistic? Was it fun? Was it uh, it just was it you know kind of kind of numb the pain numbness? of knowing you were doing crap for money? Because <laughs> uh, you know I, I had these lofty aspirations, man. I came to New York to be a playwright, and I had a couple of plays, you know, produced in New York City at some decent theaters, and my life was going to go in that direction. And then I discovered stand up, and right. about a week before I graduated from college, this agent from William Morris scooped me up, and next thing you know, I was the voice of this and the voice of that, and next thing you know, I was a voiceover guy and working for MTV and doing stand-up, and I never kind of got back to my roots, and that sucked. Right. And, you know, also, uh, you know, I had typical Irish Catholic daddy issues, and then he died of cancer in 2004, mm. and... And we never had closure. Oh, yeah. Cliches. And there, mm -hmm. You know, they, you, you name it. Then uh, September 11th happened, and two okay. of my best friends died in the towers. Oh, sorry to hear that. Cue violins, but it it just, I just got darker and darker. Right. And unfortunately, I kept making money because I'm pretty good at being funny, even if I'm trying to kill myself. And uh, uh, earlier it was uh, numbness and distraction, and then yeah. later it was more self destructive. Yeah, survivor's guilt, maybe. Sure. I don't know, man. And then uh, in 2008, my mom got real sick, and 
mm-hmm. I became friends around that time with a guy who was a, a used to be a drug dealer in Brooklyn, and <laughs> now he's a he's, he's a pastor of a church down in his okay. village. And okay. when my mom got real sick, uh, I showed up drunk one Sunday morning at his church just to sit in the back, just to sit right. in the back and mm-hmm. hear him say something kind to a congregation. I, I needed it. I don't know. I needed yeah. it. And they have this thing at the end of the service where he says, Does anybody want to come up here and ask for God's help? Right. <laughs> and I raised my hand, and I, his eyebrow went up. And because Boyan uh, is a uh, is a brave soul, he uh, he asked me to come up there, and he said, uh, well, "Would you like God to help you with?" And rather drunkenly, I said, "Oh, my mom's really sick, and I'm really afraid for her, and I just want her to get better, and I don't want to be afraid of her dying because I lost my dad four years ago to cancer." And, mm. I lost my eyeball to cancer, and I, I just—it's hard, man. Mm-hmm. Just uh, you know, uh, I need uh, help, mm-hmm. and uh, so he looked out at his congregation, and he said, uh, "Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna pray for you." And at this point, I'm like, "Oh, here comes the bullshit." Right. And he held his hand out towards the congregation, and they held their hands out towards him, and mm-hmm. he said, uh, "Well, dear God, if it's in your will, uh, please help." My friend Sean, with uh, with his dealing with his mother's illness, if it's within your will to heal her, please do so. And if it's in your will to take her home, please give him some solace so he can understand. And then he started laughing. He looked at me. And he looked at the congregation. And he goes, "And if you could sober him up, that would help too, because <laughs> he has a bit of a drinking problem." And I looked without taking a cue. I looked at the congregation. And I just went, "I'm drunk right now." <laughs> and the congregation laughed. I right. thought they were going to throw me out, uh, but he then. Put he's a giant guy. He's right here, he's a big dude. Right, and he put one hand on my back, and he put one hand on my chest, mm-hmm. and I did that thing I see in YouTube videos that I always thought was bullshit. What I nearly passed out. Okay, and when that moment passed, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say I saw angels and trumpets right. and right. and any of that crap, but something stopped hurting. Okay. I don't know, man. And, and like, some weird thing happened where I wasn't as angry as I used to be. There's a YouTube video of me testifying at the church of that experience. You can see okay. it's on you. It's getting thousands of hits. I didn't okay. know it existed until okay. two years ago. I was a little mad about that. But right. suddenly I wasn't mad at the old man for you know knocking right. me around when I was a kid. Suddenly I wasn't mad about losing my eye. I wasn't mad about... I just wasn't. I wasn't mad about September. I just everything that I used sure. to be pretty mad about went away. Now I'm sure there is a scientific explanation for all of this, mm-hmm. but it changed my life. Right. You know, it, it took me a year to kind of get my head around. For an entire year, I did not so much as drink beer. Okay. I quit drugs forever, which nobody thought that was going to happen. In the past couple of years, I've been working with children with uh, brain tumors, and okay. uh, I kind of made. Outside of doing the stuff I do for television and, and radio and stand-up, I work with this company called BrainTumorsAreFunny.com, and uh, we go and perform for children with brain tumors in okay. hospitals, and we do fundraisers. About three years ago, I met this kid, Kyle Kratzky, who was this 13-year-old kid with a golf ball-sized tumor in his head, and he came up to me after the benefit, and he said, hey, I want to be a comedian, too. <laughs> and I said, you're on. So I started taking him around to... Uh, open mics and shows in the village, much to his parents' chagrin at first, <laughs> but he got good. 
Okay. It's been three years now, and now he opens for me at these benefits, and he's funny as all hell. Oh, really? And well, good for him. this work I'm doing with the kids just... I don't know, man. Some kind of weird evolution. And, and it fit I, and in with what was going on. And if I trace the roots, it all goes back to that day in that church in the village, man. I am not a religious man. Right. I am not. I hated being a Catholic. I hated being an altar boy. I hated the Catholic Church. All the all the grabby priests with all their molesto crap and everything. I thought it was just all big pile of lies. Okay. And I can't really say what that experience was that I had. Right. I know that there's something bigger than what we see, and I experienced the taste of it. And so I don't doubt that there might be something bigger than the physical universe. Mm-hmm. And I believe that. We need to take whatever abilities we have and mm-hmm. do something kind with it. Mm-hmm. If that's Saul falling off his horse, then so be it. But uh, so thank you for sharing that story, yeah. uh, both interesting and powerful. I'm trying to just wrangle the conversation back to religious how, satire. <laughs> well, so how it intersects right. with your career as a comedian? Okay, right. So yeah. uh, that experience, besides helping sober you up, yeah. per se, or at least off drugs, yeah. Have any impact on how you approach comedy? Did sure. it change your comedy? Well, for the first year that I went back to comedy, because I don't know whether I told you this, after September 11th, I quit stand-up comedian, being a comedian for about eight years. Right. I went from being a headliner at Caroline's and doing Comedy Central and all that stuff to just stopping. I was never going to do comedy again until that thing happened to me. And then I okay. went back into comedy at 35 years old, <laughs> which you're just not supposed to do. And... I was sober, so I had nothing to talk about. I was the drunk, pot-smoking comic, so I had no material. So I started talking about religion and joking around mm-hmm. about... Because I started getting really curious about what well, what is God? Well, what is... Well, what was Jesus? If you if you haven't seen Sean, he takes a, can take a very improvisatory style of yeah, storytelling all, and just wherever his brain takes him. So I don't know if this is a fair question to ask you, but just for the sake of history, yeah. can you recall any of those bits? Oh, yeah. Well, no, just, uh, you know, uh, talking about, uh, you know, I, uh, one of my best friends growing up was uh, gay, and uh, I've always taken a hard line against homophobia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was just talking about how, you know, uh, these, these southern fried Christian GOP dudes, and I was like, Jesus hates fags. And I'm like, let me tell you something, man. Jesus ran with a crew of 12 dudes. At least three of them were fruity. That's just the numbers, folks. I'm not trying to make that up. I'm sure there were one or two, like Simon Peter being like, oh, honey, Jesus... Those, those sandals, they clash with that robe, darling. Come on, we are playing to the Peloponnesians. Wear a little purple. I'm just saying, play to the crowd. But just little little things like that, or, or stuff like, you know, Jesus being up on the cross and being like, forgive them, Father, for they know not what that... Oh, Luke, I can see your house from here. <laughs> oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, just weird things and people would either laugh or they'd be really offended and you know f them i can't take you know what i would say that it if jesus were alive today he could take a good roasting there's a comedy central special i want to see the roast of jesus (laughs) christ you have like buddha you have like uh, i'd be great man i'd be totally at moses you have like yeah man um, They've all got like chalices of wine. It's like sponsored by some leavened bread company. It'd be great. Uh, some um, comedians, um, road warriors, professionals, touring guys I've talked to, always, not always, some, some have a notion of wanting to avoid religion because of either turning the audience off or offending the audience. 
You don't sound like you were too concerned about that at that time. I don't think I've ever been concerned about whether an audience likes me or not. Okay. They're going to like me or they're not. Right. I can't bend to their will. I'm right. not that comic. Right. And I don't really have a hell of a lot of respect for comics that will bend on their morals or bend on their take on whether it's religion or politics. You know, if somebody's going to act like a conservative so he gets a round of applause in Louisiana and then, you know, mm -hmm. goes up to New York City and says, you know, he used to blow dudes for heroin just to get people to like him, that's a coward, man. That's right. not an artist. I got sure. no respect for those guys. And I know a lot of road comics, I mean, we, we, you and I do the yeah. road all the time. And I know there's plenty of comedians that I actually respect who try really hard mm. to please their audiences, and it works. It, but can, it can work, or to a skilled professional it works. Yeah, yeah, but those guys never end up with a Bill Hicks monologue or a Dennis Leary monologue right. or a Bill Burr monologue or a Joe... You know, uh, uh, George Carlin monologue. Right. They end up doing, you know, cruise ships, and I got, dude, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't abide. You have some balls, man. Just say it. Say whatever it is. If, if you're a conservative, hey man, I'm say I'm, that. Say it. If you're a liberal, hey man, say what. Just say what's in your heart. But if you're gonna just go up there and pander an audience for a half an hour, quit comedy and run for mayor. Right. You're just clogging up the works with your nothing speak. Well, I got to ask you about this because it's part of your background as a, you know, as a writer and contributor to Celebrity Deathmatch. Mm. Um, I don't recall any episodes, but you would know. I haven't seen every single episode there is that involved like religious figures. Nah, they weren't popular it, enough with the kids, right? It was they sports, want they want kid sports, rock, and, rock and roll. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. Was it ever on the table? Did anyone yeah. ever discuss like we got to get Jesus to fight yeah. the Buddha or something like that? And that was like usually that. when they'd send me to get a coffee or something. <laughs> they they didn't want to mess with sure. that. MTV's all about keeping their sponsors happy. Sure, but so, the show was already controversial for its violence. Yeah, it's controversial for violence, and violence but, is sexy, so that's right. okay. Kind of outside its demographic, like in yeah. You MTV can be violent. Is a very demographic oriented channel, right? You can right? be so. violent as hell. You can be sexy as hell. Yes. But do not say anything that is going to ruffle the sponsor's okay. feathers. And religion is an absolute no no. Because if you right now do a Google search of like celebrity deathmatch and say yeah. religion, yeah. you will find people still complaining about it. Like sure. parents' groups and pastors. Oh, we love that. <laughs> Death threats? Are you yeah. kidding me? That was, and that was right at the beginning of the internet. So it was great. We could just read people saying you're going to burn in hell. And, uh, and I remember just thinking, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, uh, all the fun people are there, I guess. I don't know. Did you, um, you mentioned Burr and Carlin and some others. Just any classics of comedy? You know, any, uh, Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks, in terms of religious satire. Bill Hicks probably right. wrote the most beautiful stuff about, I mean, I guess it would be spirituality right. instead of just, uh, you know, that whole monologue he does about how life is like a ride. It's just right. a roller coaster and it stops sure. and starts as many you know, shiny lights and whatnot, but it's just a ride. You well, know, he, does, he does a bit too about um, creationism and people who don't believe in yeah. evolution. And I, what I noticed, I mean, of course, especially as a legend, he's rightfully touted for being like a brave speaker and talking yeah. about what he wants to. If you watch his creation bit and you use some kind of almost, I don't say hacky, but formulaic how many laughs per minute, oh, yeah. it's, it slows down. He doesn't get oh, as many yeah. laughs per minute in that segment, yeah. but he's totally committed. It's like this is oh, yeah. important and he has to say it and he does get the laughs he wants yeah. where he wants them. Yeah, well, because he wasn't jockeying for sitcom. Right. Neither am I. <laughs> Neither are any of the comics I respect. In terms of religious satire as a broad topic and us having a quick conversation, yeah. anything else just about it that you want to say or get off your chest or that you like or dislike? What about the Catholic Church? 
anything, religious satire, Catholic Church. I've always thought that uh, priests should be allowed to marry or gay marry. I sure. Mean, I think uh, we probably wouldn't have all this problem with uh, diddling priests. Like, I do plenty of jokes about diddling priests once in a while in my sure. thing because, you know, growing up in New England in the early 80s, man, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a buyer's market for pederasts in the, uh, in the Catholic Church. I had a few experiences with them myself. You know, these guys were, they were slick. As a biography, autobiography, then that's part of you, so you have yeah. an absolute right to talk about it. But do you think only people who have had those experiences should be making fun of it? I think, I or, think, or I think, doing, you know I what think I mean? anybody should have the right to make fun of anything. Ever. Okay. This, is, this is the United States, and, uh, you know, we did fought, fight a couple of world wars so mm. that we'd have the right to have this dialogue we're having right now yeah. without, you know, some jackboots kicking in the door and us winding up on a, you know, train right. to... So you're basically describing a Trump presidency world right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> if he wins, let me tell you something. If he wins, I'm going to turn into, like, Robert De Niro in Brazil. I'm just going to run around like a backpack with a microphone. <laughs> just, uh, just like, paratrooping off buildings, being like, we're putting together an open mic. And then, and then like, join the revolution. I mean, uh, people who are uptight about religion have something to hide. They're... Right. they're Scratch a, a Bible thumper, and you're gonna find a fear monger and a hate monger right. underneath. I mean, the the Bible is a manual; it's not a weapon. Right. And if you weaponize that thing, I will. Well, it does seem whenever you hear a uh, firebrand, yeah, often religious, talking like homophobia, yeah. I would say stick to homophobia for my example. Yeah. They start. To go into so much detail, oh, yeah. you know, it's obvious what they're thinking about. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, they're revealing, like they have no poker face. Their whole hand reveals what they're thinking of. <laughs> well, that's one of, the, one of the only religious bits that I remember. It goes right into that. I did this whole thing with, like, uh, I always thought it would be super cool if one day there was writing in the sky, and it just said, Jesus is coming to Madison Square Garden, April 5th, 2011, you know, and... Everybody shows up. Oh, Jesus. No, that all these priests are like, Jesus is coming on the April 5th. He will tell you that the homosexuals are going to burn and that blacks aren't as good as whites and blah, 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 blah. And all the born-again Christians and all the religious nuts and all the Bible thumpers and the, and the flag. they just all show up and Jesus would show up and he'd look exactly like Mitch Hedberg. And he'd be like, I don't know those dudes. Hey, man, why'd you say I don't like gays? Not cool. You know what? <laughs> Just for that, I'm turning you guys all into guys with heads like basketballs and feet like a chicken. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there's like 60,000 people with like void basketball heads and, and chicken feet. And that's his one miracle. He's like, all right, I got to go. And then he just leaves. <laughs> Well, you know? uh, on that image, I think we have found closure for our conversation. Yeah, man. So thank you so much, Sean, for taking the time to talk to me about religious satire today. Well, we always have fun. Uh... Well, what a fun and interesting conversation. I really love Sean. He's so forthright and vulnerable. He has a great background. Uh, he's very sensitive to the people around him. Uh, hilarious, of course. And what a, a personal uh, and moving story about his uh, epiphany uh, and how that experience affected his ability in his own life to turn his life around. Well, before we finish up, 
I'd like to uh, take a trip over to the rabbit hutch. Me and my wife keep a couple of lovely little Holland Lops, Kevin Bacon and Newton. Kevin Bacon is a white little fuzzball of uh, love and cuteness. And Newton is the younger of the two. And he is full of uh, bunny piss and bunny vinegar. And uh, we just love those little guys. And if you've ever been around rabbits that much, one of the things that makes them interesting is just watching how they move. Because they hop everywhere, it's just kind of interesting to see. Even when they're just walking around, or if they run, or if they jump over something. You know, they're hopping, and their legs, and their powerful feet. So interesting. And bunnies love to run. And uh, if they're having a very strong emotions, even what we might call joy, they love to run, and they love to jump up in the air and kick their legs around. And that's called a bunny binky. And Newton, who is younger than Kevin, loves to run and do bunny binkies. I even wish I could get a picture of it, but I'm not a good enough photographer. It all happens so fast. Runs, jumps, jumps up in the air, kicks his legs around, and hits the ground running. So uh, that's your bunny binky. If you've never seen one before, you can find a million videos of bunny binkies on the interwebs. Well, one of the unexpected side effects of keeping bunnies is that we use newspapers to line the bottom of the rabbit cages. And I didn't think about this before, but after I started putting newspapers in the rabbit cages, then I started realizing that I was looking at the headlines. It's kind of funny. It's almost like using the newspapers for rabbit cage liners have brought me back to reading actual physical paper newspapers. And one of the things that's come out of that is there's a type of story and a type of headline that always seems to catch my eye whenever newspapers or magazines do stories about religion, related to religion, religious topics. There's always a chance that uh, the reporter gets things wrong, what uh, journalists call soft journalism. They just run in, get a couple quotes, type up a story, publish it. They don't always know exactly what they're talking about. And I was going over to the rabbit cages, and I had to fight my way through one of Newton's big binky rabbit kicks in my face. We had fun playing. When I got over to the cage, I saw a headline that was uh, just like that. It was uh, typical, soft journalism, get a couple quotes, jump in and out. So what did I find under the big hopping feet of Little Brown Newton? I saw an article entitled, Ancient Roman Theater Found in Northern Israel May Have Been Religious Center by Daniel K. Eisenbud. Now that's cool to me because I love Roman theater and I love Greek theater. In fact, those are my two favorite kinds of Greco-Roman theater. So this caught my eye, especially when I zeroed in on the phrase, may have been religious center. And if you've ever studied ancient history, it's pretty common knowledge that the Greeks and the Romans loved to have uh, gods associated with every little thing they did. Uh, the unemployment rate among ancient gods was supernaturally low. That's what I'm saying. So the phrase, may have been religious center, is sort of like saying, Jesus may have preferred wine over water. Let's face it, Jesus would have been one hell of a bartender, by the way. So here's this headline announcing that this Roman theater might have been a religious center. There might have been a connection between religion and this theater. Well, there's a shock for you. Have you ever heard of a guy called Dionysus? He was the Greek god of theater. So yeah, Greek god of theater. I'd say there was a connection between gods and theater. At this point, curiosity had its way with me which it often does, and so I read the whole article. This article goes on about an excavation of an old Roman city. The dig is in the Sea of Galilee, which if you remember your Bible, the Sea of Galilee is right next to the land of Hanali, where archaeologists are currently looking for the bones of a magic dragon and a very sad little boy. Of course, they'll never find that magic dragon because string and sealing wax does not fossilize. 
Autumn mist does not fossilize. That's just not how fossilization works. And trust me, I think I know how fossilization works. I've seen every single Jurassic Park movie, one of them sober. For Greeks and Romans, theater was a big part of their civic life. Remember, this was before cable TV even. And we all know Romans love spectacle, gladiator battles, bread and circuses, the Circus Maximus. The Roman circus was like a cross between NASCAR, Game of Thrones, and professional wrestling, and not only in the sense that flash photography was prohibited. The thing that interested me in this article is that they actually found the site of an old Roman theater, like where they would perform plays. And that place would have been huge, holding thousands and thousands of people, because Romans and Greeks love themselves some theater. I like theater too, but when I go see a play nowadays, there's like 12 people in the audience, Ten of them are on their cell phones, and two of them are wondering why the actors are yelling at them. But then this is where the article really let me down. They only make one reference to Dionysus in the whole story. And even then, they only call him as a uh, god of nature, not mentioning that he was also the god of theater. You know, as an aside, those gods in those days were really overworked. They probably should have formed a union or something. So anyway, there's no may-have-been-religious-center about it. A Greek... Roman classical theater was a religious center, even if they didn't hand out pamphlets in the foyer. And I don't know how much you people know about Dionysus. For example, did you know that his parents were the god Zeus and a mortal woman, who I won't mention by name because there's a long-standing restraining order? Been quite a while, I know, but what can I say? It sucks when those are carved in stone. So anyway, Dionysus was a demigod, half man, half god. You know, like Demi Moore. They had a lot of those back in Greek mythology. I'm not sure why. I guess the gods back then just sort of got around, you know, more ways than one. Interesting side note, it wasn't just the Greeks who claimed the gods got busy with humans. <clears throat> Jesus. But it was a particularly common thing in Greek mythology. Now, Dionysus was a god of a lot of other things besides theater. The Greek gods had all these different jobs that they did. Dionysus was also the god of wine and the god of fertility. Fertility, of course, means making babies, so those two go hand in hand. Well, you know, not technically hand-in-hand, hand, but you see what I'm saying. But yeah, theater, drunkenness, and sex, all together as one set. Sort of like the ancient Greek version of sex, drugs, rock, and roll. That's like the eternal trifecta right there. To me, that's a perfect weekend. Now we're talking about a god even I could worship. Although it's pretty much the same thing as worshiping the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, let's all get naked and set shit on fire. That used to be a religion. And for the Chili Peppers, it still is, except that now Ticketmaster takes a 20% tithe. It'd be like if Jerry Lee Lewis was a god. I would totally give up being an atheist if I could worship Jerry Lee Lewis. Let's go to church, get drunk, and have sex with our cousins. Now that's my type of god right there. Which might sound a little strange, but if you saw my cousin, you'd know where I was going with all of this. So yeah, let's get ancient. All those things, the drunkenness, the sex, the theater, they all sound great together. But, uh... Technically, I should point out that the Roman theater was all men. They didn't let any women be in the plays. So you might very well prefer to get your popcorn buttered in the lobby rather than backstage. Now, I was really into what this article was about. And so, because my day planner is about as full as that of a woodchuck, I decided to write an email to Dr. Eisenberg. He's the guy that leads the excavation there in the Sea of Galilee. I was asking him about his article, about what the dig was like, and couple of questions about Viagra, as it turns out. Uh, they weren't really pertinent at the time, but they just sort of came up. I do want to say in complete seriousness that Dr. Eisenberg wrote me back a very professional and gracious letter. And one thing he said was that he thought that what was interesting in this discovery, that the article didn't emphasize 
properly, surprise, surprise, was not just that it might be a religious center or that Dionysus might be involved, but they found artifacts associated with another Greek god named Asclepius. That's a strange sounding name, I know. I think his mom picked it. She was mortal. So was her cooking. His father was Apollo, the god of Tom Hanks movies. So Asclepius was another half-man, half-god. Get in line, Jesus. There's a bunch of you. Another thing they discovered at this dig site was the remains of a bathhouse in the same vicinity neighborhood compound as the theater. Wow, those must have been some dirty, dirty plays they were performing. And the bathhouse contained artifacts for this other Greek god, Asclepius, the god of medicine. Nowadays, you take anything drug-related into a public bathhouse and you get all kinds of trouble. Uh, and again, uh, let me offer my sincere apologies to the San Bernardino State women's basketball team. So Asclepius was the Greek god of medicine, and he had a bunch of daughters that were related to medicine. Three of his daughters were recuperation, hygiene, and beauty, which are coincidentally the three main reasons I couldn't get laid in high school, or get laid in college, or get laid since I got married. Stupid Asclepius and his stupid daughters. Another famous thing about Asclepius was that he was involved in something called the Great Hunt of the Caledonian Boar. Now the Caledonian boar was this massive boar with his huge mouth with gnarled teeth covered in sweat and hair and it rampaged against everything in its path. It took a whole team of Greek heroes to bring him down and it was a successful hunt because they did finally catch and kill Alex Jones. No wonder his teeth were so gnarly and out of shape he never used fluoride. One last thing. In Greek mythology there's always a lot of different stories, you know, but there's this one story about how Sclepius might have died. He was the god of medicine, and he brought someone back from the dead. Seriously, Jesus, take a number. And after accepting gold as payment for what was now a presumably delighted zombie of some kind, Zeus smote Asclepius with a lightning bolt and with an archaic verb. And that's my kind of smiting, people. I would totally worship any god that punishes people for overcharging for health care. That's a god I could believe in. I wish Zeus would go after the CEO who raised the price of life-saving pharmaceuticals 4,000%. Uh, Zeus should give that CEO diseases that those drugs cure and then raise the price too high for him. That would be an ironic turn of events suitable to perform at an ancient Roman theater, you know, religiously speaking. And so this article entitled, Ancient Roman theater found in northern Israel may have been religious center is what I found today at the bottom of the rabbit hutch. Since I consider misinformation a sin, I call this misinformation. Whenever I see examples of misinformation, I have to speak out. I'm not trying to ruin anybody else's good time, but hey, it's not about your dogma. It's my karma, and I'm all about spreading the love. So it just remains for me to thank Sean Lynch for being our guest today on The Comical Heathen. Uh, remember to visit our website, like us on iTunes and Stitcher, leave lots of comments. I want to hear all your feedback. I want to thank my good friend Jeff Geddert for uh, some technical advice and sound engineering advice. And uh, the music you hear throughout the show, The Comical Heathen, is a uh, beautiful Bach organ music played by my very good friend Mark Bell. And so it just remains for me to thank you for listening. Thank you. I'm Dr. Jerry Joffey.